everyone. Welcome to a new episode of Carolyn Talks. I'm your host, Carolyn Hines, film critic and journalist. And this is the podcast slash YouTube channel where I speak to film creatives about their work, the industry, and what inspires them. And today, I'm joined by fellow film critic and journalist, Chanel Janay. I paused. Chanel Janay to talk about the film Magazine Dreams, which premiered at the 2023 Sundance Film Festival. And this film stars um Jonathan Majors and I think I don't want to I don't want to be hyper um hyperbolic but I think it would be called a a career defining role because this is all like anything we've seen him play today and his I think he was he was extremely impressive fantastic and also a bit scary in this role and um this film is about a a a man who has aspiring dreams and obsession of becoming a world champion bodybuilder and body model and is scary is intense is unsettling it was very unsettled it was actually very physically uncomfortable for some of these films and the film was written and directed by Elijah Bynum and I think he has a very particular filming style which helped make the story even more uncomfortable but before we get into magazine dreams as usual I like to have my guests say a bit about themselves and what got them into their line of work and for you Jen Amshana can you talk a bit about what got you into film criticism and journalism um what got me into journalism in particular was a chance um uh, online meeting with um a guy, an actor off Insecure, um, John Ellie. He played Amaldi on uh, Insecure, Issa's little brother. Mm -hmm. Um, We met on Instagram and kind of organically just connected. And, you know, one day I, this was when I was thinking about kind of putting my feet out there as far as uh, feature writing goes and uh, doing interviews goes. And one day I just kind of pitched them and said, hey, I don't know if this will land anywhere, but I'm, you know, I think you're an interesting person. I love what you're doing on Insecure. I'd love to interview you if you give me the opportunity. I'll shop it around. I'll do a good job, et cetera, et cetera. He said, yes, it got, um, it got published. And that was kind of the snowball effect for everything else. Um, as far as film criticism, I up until last year, I hadn't really tried my hand too much at it simply because I highly respect people who do that on a regular basis. And I feel like it it taps into some sort of mental and emotional um, places that I don't, I didn't know that necessarily I was ready to go to as far as like analysis goes and like trying to strain things and themes and motifs and ideas together uh, succinctly enough. Um, but this in 2022, I really tried to challenge myself and get out the box. So that was the year I started doing more of those. And then here at Sundance for in 2023 that's when I just kind of decided to work that muscle yeah it's it, like going into film criticism and journalism is a decision that um I always tell people when they ask me how did you get into this I'm like it's not a decision that you can make lightly because especially as black women like this field of work is very can be very stressful not only because the work itself is stressful like um, people always say, oh, you have you, your job is just to watch film. I'm like, my job for me personally, my, my job isn't just about watching films. It's literally an- analyzing films. Like that's how I, when I'm writing a film for coverage for professional work, I watch it, yes, as a fan of film, but I'm also watching it because I have to analyze it. And I'm looking and I'm paying attention to the score, to the cinematography, costume design, all of these things. And that actually takes a lot of brain work, you know, you gotta, mm-hmm. and you gotta be able to like, figure out what the um, director is trying to say, what the what the writer, all of these people, the, the cast is trying to say. And and people always say, what's, what's the first thing 
what's the best advice you could give anyone? I'll say, first thing first, stay true to yourself. <laughs> stay true to yourself. Know who your voice is as a writer. Know who your voice is as a critic and as a black woman. Know who you are because you have to know that this job is not easy. And when we step into this field, like we, like there's a lot of self doubt. Like as you said, that like you weren't sure if you could do the writing. And for me, it was the same way. I, I, I hesitated even trying to do this job because I, I wasn't sure if I was a good enough writer. I didn't go to school for journalism. I didn't go to school for writing. I got my diploma in paralegal studies, and wow. and and I decided to do this and. I knew people in the field who like went to film school, people who went, who started out as actual like news journalists or editors and that kind of stuff. And I didn't have any kind of background in that, but like, I love that you took the initiative. You just like, you know what, I'm going to take my, shoot my shot and try to interview this guy and shop it around. And like, that's, I think for a lot of us, like that's when we see an opportunity, we have to say, you know, try this, you know, and like it paid off for you. And I think if, and like you're here, you're covering Sundance for the first time in 2023 and you're doing it virtually, which um, like it's like do it virtual, doing it virtually has its pros, which is like you're staying home in the in like you're in the warmth. Like it's like Sundance is in Park City, Utah, which is freezing, cold, snow, like hustling through the, the, the snow and trying to get the bus or walking from theater to theater is not easy. I did it in 2020 and it was a lot of work. But but the cons is that you're also not around other people. You're not being you're not getting the theater experience and even just just experience of standing in line talking to people like I love doing that. I love going to theaters and standing in line and just chatting up like just randomly starting up a conversation with people. So I do hope you get a, the a, an in person festival experience because to me that's so much fun. To me it's almost to me Sundays is more fun than watching movies. But that's just me because I just stop talking to people. <laughs> but yeah, but like I'm proud of you for taking that step and like going out and like deciding this is something I want to do. Yes. Yeah, it was very um the one thing that I, I do know to be true about myself is that I'm a very proactive person. Mm -hmm. um, if I see an opportunity and if I see there's some way for me to add skill set, value, input, um, and I have the bandwidth, I'm more than likely going to do it. <laughs> I'm more than likely going to go forth in it. And uh, but like you, I do hope probably next year because I'm, uh, you know, transitioning to Los Angeles right as you know, Sundance was happening. So there was just no way logistically I could be in both places at one time. Um, but I do hope next year to go in person and have the full experience. Yeah, it's fun. Like, it, like the, and Sundance isn't the only festival. There's like South by Southwest. There's like TIFF. There's, um, there's other smaller festivals. Like there's the, why am I drawing a sudden blank on it? There's a ABFF festival as well. <laughs> yes, the ABFF. There's also one that Gina Davis started. Gina Davis started um, an independent um, film festival that's more female centered. Like it, um, it showcases films by and about women. And then there's also like a whole bunch of like Sonoma. There's like the Sonoma Film Festival and all of these small ones. So that, those are ones you could also look into covering even virtually too, because those are also good opportunities to like network and also get to know more independent filmmakers. Because that's more. That's a passion of mine, like speaking to in independent filmmakers as well. Uh, and speaking of independent filmmakers, we're going to, we'll start a discussion on my magazine news because this is an independent film, you know, and this is a film that's very small and contained because it just focuses mainly on Killian Maddox, which is a character that John plays and his character is very isolated. He's very interior, you know, like the, the story is very much about this world that he has that's very small and um, for me, <laughs> this film, as I said at the beginning, made me physically uncomfortable 
But for me, I generally, when I'm having these kind of conversations, especially with critics, I like usually like to discuss the cons first and then go into pro- the pros so that we can kind of quote unquote end on the, uh, um, on a high note or on a positive note. So for you, like, what were the things that you didn't necessarily, not necessarily like, but also that you that you thought that the film could have done a bit better or that you were just like, you, you, you were just like, you know what, this part of the film isn't really working for me or this part of the story isn't working for me. You know, I thought, I thought first and foremost that it was a phenomenal film. Um, I think like you, just the unrelenting nature of the things that Killian Maddox was going through. I think that was a part for me that, that like you made me physically uncomfortable. I was quite literally on edge the entire time. I remember at one point, holding my face like this because I was just like, oh my gosh. <laughs> um, yeah, the, the way that Jonathan's character just, it seemed like kept getting hit blow after blow after blow after blow. That that to me was probably one thing where it's like, okay, like I, I get it. We get it. He's spiraling. I understand. Mm. Can we get a break? And then the one moment where I thought we were finally going to get a break, it ended up being so so crushing when he meets his idol. I thought that was the turning point. And it was, if I was a stick, I would have broken half. Like, <laughs> yeah, that scene was, that scene, that scene all, that was, I think, out of everything in the film, that was the one that I was just like, come on, like, do you, I'm like, how much more can this character take? And not only for the character, but also the audience. I was yes. like, I was just like, give us a break. Cause like, so, like you said, there's, it's unrelenting. Like he, every time as you think he, but he doesn't even really have any high moments. Like everything is just, he's no. like, he's constantly getting pulled down. He never has any moments where it feels like he, like where he even gets a win, mm-hmm. you know, like he, he never, he doesn't have any wins. Like everything is just like, a, just like a way. And it's just like, it did feel like and the film is also very long like I didn't realize it would be over two hours long and it feels longer than the even the two hour two hours and ten minutes runtime mm-hmm. and I think that's one of the things for me where I felt like like some of the things that do happen like there's a scene with police brutality I was like do we really need this right you know I'm like like because there was a scene earlier where like he's running and the cop car like just like shines the light on him and he's running and you can tell like he's trying to keep his cool and he knows he can't react because the very real dangers that black men and black people face in America from uh, from and violence that they face from police officers that's enough for us to know that he's a danger like we know he's a black man you don't even need to have the scenes with the cops you know we just know that he's in danger as a black man but then to have the actual scene where the physical violence that was like my sister actually my sister was watching with me and that's when she actually got up my life because and she she was like I can't do this film I can't watch this film anymore because mm-hmm. she's like it's triggering my she my anxiety and I related to her to that I and then because I actually paused the film and it was I had to, and that's the beauty also of covering a festival from home because you can pause a film and like get up get up and take a breather if you need to when this film like I had to I had to like take a time take a breather for me because it was just so much and mm-hmm. that scene it was just like did we really need this scene you know and yeah. I was like, and then there's the scene where he gets beat up by the the uh, the four men. I'm like, again, do we need to have this scene? Do we? That scene and the scene that followed when he still pressed his way to the competition, I just it it was a lot. It was it was really a lot. It 
again, it, it was just unceasing. Like it, there was never, like you said, there was no high point at all. And the fact that the one false high point that they put in there was closer to the end of the movie anyway, I was just like, all right, we, we've had to endure so much, so much, so much. And then we get this false sense of hope and then it just shatters everything that we have left, our energy, our bandwidth to endure the movie. Like it just, it, it shattered everything. And I, I think I actually looked at the time marker because I was like, how much more? of mm-hmm. this is left because it's not that it's a bad film it's just that there was so much in it that I was waiting for the ending yeah I think sometimes for like for some for some filmmakers when they have these kind of films where it is it's a very it's depressing in the fact that this character is going through so much and you feel so much you feel a lot of sympathy and empathy for him in particular because of how Jonathan plays the character but then you're also you're 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 kind of conflicted because he's he's also very obsessive and in and in a potentially dangerous way and he does eventually be, start to pose a very real danger to people around him because he's spoiler bites a gun and i was just like i was just like so we go from feeling feeling from this character because he's very awkward and he's very um socially um um he's very socially isolated from people and he's he's obviously neurodivergent he has a he has a he has um a problem interacting with people and I'm not going to diagnose and say he's, he's autistic or anything like that but no but he is clearly neurodivergent and he struggles with reading people's body language and reading people's facial expressions and you know I'm picking up on cues and like that a lot of that does engender sympathy in you and like you can see like bodybuilding for him is a way of like building confidence but then his like his his evolution as a character starts to become darker and darker and darker and like people and like he would become pure to an insult right and i feel when filmmakers have these kind of films where they're trying to do very introspective films and they're trying to do like these um character character studies on on characters that they get so caught up in like being moody and dark and angsty that they don't realize that for the audience that could be too much because this is still supposed to be fiction you know it's supposed to still be technically entertainment you know it's a, like that's what film is for like film and like sometimes no matter how depressing a film a story is supposed to be it's still supposed to be able to have some kind of moments where the cat where the audience has a moment to breathe you know it's supposed to be able to help us process these moments and we have like very few of those moments and like those some of those moments only really come like with his grandfather but they're not even like moments to breathe because his grandfather you can tell he his grandfather doesn't communicate with him you know his grandfather is disabled and he's been looking after this man for uh, from the from a very young age and then you realize that the reason he's looking at his grandfather is also because of a traumatic experience and then it's just like i'm like i literally talk to myself i'm like okay writer like come on now <laughs> like come on <laughs> like come on and the the way that that information came out was it such a awkward just like godly guy like just godly <laughs> like you would have thought it it would reveal itself in a in a different way, but I guess you know, to the writer's point, it it had to come out that way to further, you know, show how much he was detached from people, uh, mm. ta- detached from his reality, um, and that was the thing I think the detachment from reality I think was one of the things that really stood out to me in the way that Jonathan was betraying him is because 
he was, for all intents and purposes, delusional in a lot mm-hmm. of ways, um, especially in those moments where they showed him talking to his counselor, um, his, ther- his therapist, and kind of telling her, oh, well, I'm going to be competing. I'm going to be on the cover of a magazine. Me and my yep. girlfriend are going strong. I'm like, you're delusional. Yes. But I'm like, it has to be a distraction of sorts, uh, of some sort, or uh, some sort of coping mechanism or something to try to help him, I guess, mentally or subconsciously deal with the reality of the situation, which is he's not where he wants to be and he's not relating to people in the way that he wants to relate. So it's it came across very sad. And I thought I knew stress. Um <laughs> I thought I knew stress after watching Waves with Kelvin Harrison Jr. Oh my God, that film is stressful. <laughs> oh I thought I knew stress after watching that movie. I was like, okay, this this is top tier, never again. And then I saw magazine dreams and I was like, I didn't know stress. <laughs> it is no, a lot. No. It is a lot. Like this, like you see, like the scene where he mentions his that traumatic um backstory of his, like. And this, this is also a moment where you're thinking, okay, maybe this is a bright moment in his life. Okay, you know, like he got this day, this girl, and she's very nice and she's she's accepted his awkwardness, but then he just says this thing and he starts to go off on this tangent and this diatribe of his of his obsession and his delusions of grandeur of being a, a, a bodybuilder. And in that moment, I was just thinking, okay, come on. Like, I'm like, he can't even have this. Mm-mm. No, like he can't even have a date. Like, just like, like, like can can the date just also be just a good date and he have like even if nothing worked out afterwards like just let this date be good no the writer's like no no we're gonna yeah. ruin this entire thing and I was like and it's stressful because I I, I think I kind of tuned out a bit in that scene because I kind of checked out because the way he just kept talking and talking and talking I was like the girl I was I was that was one of the scenes where I was physically uncomfortable because I was just like I was looking getting ready to look up and get up off my sofa and I looked away because it was that's anything that's a testament to Jonathan's acting is that he makes you as the audience react the same way that the other that the characters that that are interacting with him feel Mm -hmm. You know, we feel awkward the same way. We feel like we, we we're just like, oh, okay, this guy is about to lose it. And you're just like, I don't want to be here when he loses his shit. <laughs> yeah, I, I, the definitely a thousand percent credit to Jonathan and a lot of credit to his, um, his castmate in that particular scene at the diner, because the way her, she didn't have to say a thing, but the way her face conveyed her discomfort and just like, I'm ready to run about it here, but I don't want to hurt his feelings. Mm -hmm. So I have to figure out a way to do this kindly. That was very visceral. Yeah. Um, I'm looking up her name. I'm looking, let me see what's her name. I think her name is Haley Bennett and she, mm-hmm. she's, she's, she's what you would call it. She's a very a supporting character. She doesn't have that many scenes in the film, but the scenes where, but that scene in the diner was so, it was very impressive. Like she really, and I was, and I'm thinking, you know, as women, as soon as we do get into situations where men with men and we're just thinking it's like a more, it's like a fight or flight situation, you know, and she's thinking, how do I ease out of this situation with my safety? You know, like, how do I, I don't want to trigger this guy and make him into, and that's the thing. Another thing with this film is like, there's only two female, there's three female characters. There's the, there's the counselor, there's the character um, Haley plays, and then there's another one that Taylor Page made. And all three of these women, like, I think as women, as, as female um, audience, audience members, we, 
we can relate to these three women because you're this he's big he's imposing like jonathan gained so much muscle mass for this film and he's a tall guy mm-hmm. and in all in these three in the scenes with these three women you're thinking they're they're in potentially physical danger like you don't know what will make him snap you know like the scene with taylor she plays um a, a sex worker and she's on the bed and there's this moment she slaps and most just like yeah it was just like girl <laughs> i was just yeah. like yeah i you did not know like you said you just didn't know what would trigger him although it did become a bit more apparent that it seemed like disrespect was kind of like a trigger for him and when he was mm-hmm. met with something that he didn't agree with or that he didn't like that was kind of a, a little bit trigger for him but definitely when taylor's character slapped him granted she didn't do it hard which i thought was great um, mm-hmm. but when she slapped him, I was like, all right, he's literally hovering inches away from your face. Your face could be gone because he could do some harm to you. But I thought in that particular scene, I also thought, even though there was definitely the potential for danger, I thought the way Jonathan portrayed his uncomfortableness with women and with intimacy and like relating to women, even though you know, it was through a sex act, which is still an intimate act, but I thought that was a nice way to show that he was still fearful of the thing that he wanted the most, which was to be connected to someone and to really, you know, have a vulnerable moment with people. Just like I think you mentioned earlier, the scene with him and his um, grandfather near the end where he's just crying in his grandfather's arms. Like, that's the thing that I feel like he was chasing after the entire time. Like, he just wanted someone to be there for him to understand him to feel him to see him and he was searching for that throughout the entire film yeah he 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 was looking for i think not sexual connection but just like acceptance Mm -hmm. and and as you said like for someone to actually see him because the way that scene with his the scene with um his grandfather that's right at the end but the way it's framed like that's the person his grandfather is standing and looking directly at him you know, for all the other scenes and even some of the other scenes with some of the other characters, like they're like they're always off center. No one is looking directly at him. Like they don't like they don't physically see him head on. Like, you know, it's always from some kind of obscured angle. And that scene broke my heart because I was just thinking like there's a, something that's revealed about his health. And I'm just thinking the the fight isn't over. Like the fight for him is now beginning because he has this, he's now has a new battle with his health that he has to contend with. And I'm just like, this red guy really can't get a break. But 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 even but at least he now has someone that he can rely on because before like as we said, like he's been a captain's grandfather for years from a very young age. And he's been the sole caretaker and he has had no one really to help him and support him. Like his therapist, like she's trying to help, but also she's a white woman. She's an elderly, she's a more mature white woman. So she still can't relate to him as a black person. She can't relate to him as a man. She can't relate to him as a person who has to go through life as a black person, you know, and the challenges that comes with that and the, and the things that make him afraid, you know, like we see that he's like, well, he can be physically violent, but he's also very afraid. Like he's, he's, he's terrified of failing you know he's terrified of not being able to care for his grandfather and, and like he's terrified of not making connections with people but his but his fear comes across as um and like his like in order to protect his fear or, or mask his fear 
he becomes um aggressive and rude like the like the things that he does to customers and like you said he's he doesn't like disrespect disrespect is a trigger for him and that's why and I, like, like this is very, very also in the in the positives now because these are the things that i really liked about the film and all of this because jonathan is the main character like killian is this film he like the magazine dreams are about him that his dreams of becoming a cover model for a magazine but like everything is about him and the thing that i think that jonathan does so brilliantly in this film is how he switches personalities very quick he goes from being shy to being aggressive he goes from being scared to being suspicious you know he goes like from being very quiet and silent to having these explosive um, moments especially when he's like flexing you know like he like and and, and they thought the scenes where he's like flexing his muscles and stuff is like those were kind of heartbreaking for me because like he even alone and talking to a camera he can't he, he can't even connect with the camera you know because he's thinking mm-hmm. of the people who will be on the other side of the camera watching him mm-hmm. yeah those and I, I know <laughs> as as a, a Jonathan Majors fan for sure I remember initially seeing the photo for the movie and seeing you know the the shadow of his abs and his toned legs and of course we all saw you know uh his his body for like a better words in the mental uh cover that was released a couple months ago so it's not like we knew he he wasn't ripped right mm-hmm. and we knew in this one because he's playing a bodybuilder we would more than likely see him probably half naked showing all his abs and muscles and things which on the surface and initially I was like oh well look at that um <laughs> I think a lot of people are gonna go and be very surprised <laughs> this film is um, nothing that the picture makes you think it's gonna be <laughs> And that's the thing. That's the that's the exact point I was I was going to get to is that you think it's going to be one thing when you just if you just ba- go based off the photo and what you know about the movie, you think it's going to be one thing. But then you watch it. And to your point about him being in front of the camera, trying to flex. And even when he does that one competition where he's you know flexing his muscles for people, it what you thought was initially going to be like intriguing starts to become more uncomfortable to watch. And it's just like, I don't like put your body up. I don't want to see it anymore because you're doing so much to get it to look like this mm-hmm. to your debt, ultimate detriment. And it's, it's, I think the word of the day is uncomfortable because it was became increasingly uncomfortable as every minute of that film went by. Yeah, yeah, and like talking about his body, like the thing, <laughs> the thing, the thing that this film made me really think about, and I had the and I had the thought about it too. But when I was watching it, like I think social media has made people become very detached from the people behind the images that we see. Like, the, like the, and I think that, and I think using the photo that they did for promotion for this film was very intentional because mm-hmm. like, you know, they, people would look at the photo. Oh, it's like going to be like a thirst tweet. People are like, Oh, Jonathan looks amazing. Like his body looking, it's all, all down. And then you're not really, you're not thinking that this is an actual human being. This is not a person, you know, like people have got, become very comfortable with saying extremely inappropriate things, things that I consider borderline or extremely sexual, um, inappropriate and this sexual harassment. And they say these things because like, 
people be, have, especially for celebrities, like they, that you're thinking, okay, this is a public figure. This is someone we see in film all the time. So I can say this thing about them because they put their bodies on display in their films or in, on, in photo shoots, whatever. But the film highlights, like, we don't understand the emotional and mental and physical strain and stress and trauma that these people have to put their bodies through. While mm-hmm. Killian is not an actor, he like, as a as a bodybuilder, we see that he's that he's taking steroids, that he's taking drugs, and that he's putting his body through um like diet like an extremely restrictive diet. But then it also creates body dysmorphia, and he has an eating disorder. And I remember I was like, I remember I was watching. I like I'm a fan of like Korean films and Korean music. But I was remember I was watching this this show. It's, it's like a V live, and it's like this like the guys was one of the guys was preparing for a photo shoot. And and the, I saw the behind the scenes for the first He talked about how he couldn't eat everything that he wanted. Like even he had like he was already on a restrictive diet as a singer and a performer, but he had to even go on an even more strict diet. And he couldn't drink water. He was dehy- he had to dehydrate for two days because the reason they what they don't tell you is like, and and he said that what a lot of people don't realize is when you're doing magazine covers or these kind of shoots, they tell you you can't drink any liquids because that's what makes your body that's what makes your abdominals pop. That's what makes your muscles more defined, right? And that's what we, that's when that's why when you see these guys, it's not only Photoshop, but like they don't drink water because like your body, your your skin becomes tighter. And the same thing happens in this film. Like we see that Killian, he um he he he's vomiting, you know, he vomits up food and he's like the and like he's very restrictive in his diet and he's like pushing his body system, he's damaging his body. And the film made me think about how, like, for actors in particular, especially in Hollywood now, like the I the what it was considered attractive, physically attractive, is to me not attractive because I don't want to see someone that looks like they can smash me into a wall. Like <laughs> that's not attractive to me. Like you can't fuck me. <laughs> like I like you know, for me, I'm like I like gent- I like muscle guy, but not like super muscular and and things. So like for yeah. Killian's body, I don't find his body like sexually or physically attractive mm-hmm. and the interesting thing and it's something that's pointed out later in the film is killian and a judge that he had a very bad interaction with is like the people judging these men look nothing like them nothing look nothing like them but you got all these people who who, are, who aren't bodybuilders who aren't physically who they're not physically fit who don't have to put themselves through these strains and these straight these strains um these extremely dangerous um situations to look like this judging them and saying your body isn't good enough you know and it shows how even these men are very judged judged very harshly for their own bodies and how what that does to them mentally and 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 it just made me think of like how i hope there's a discussion with this film after about how hollywood and how people um and how regular people judge um actors and actresses for their bodies because we don't understand the things they have to do for their bodies to look appealing to us, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that kind of lends itself to the the idea that a lot of people have that celebs and actors and artists and p- public figures, I guess, um, to paint it with a broader stroke, are characters and not people. And I know up until, because I've been, writing in entertainment for about uh, six years now. I know probably up until I really got more and more into the world of TV and film and music, a lot of those public figures did look like characters. I would see headlines about them. I would, you know, go past it. 
and you know, conversation with friends, we bring them up and laugh or talk and things like that. But the older I got and the more involved I got, it just became clearer and clearer. These are not characters. They they play characters, but they're not characters themselves. There are real life people who experience real life emotions, who have real life thoughts. And it's unfair to treat them otherwise and to kind of look at them, like you said, with this unfair lens uh, that they have to present themselves a certain way or that they even feel pressured that they have to present themselves a certain way to the public, to other Hollywood executives. And it's, it, and I think, I think maybe Jonathan mentioned this in one of the interviews he did prior to the film uh, screening was that, you know, he hoped that the film highlighted the humanity of mm-hmm. us all because as awkward and as rage filled and as um, vulnerable and scary as Killian was, he was still a human being. And instead of immediately demonizing him for his anger and his outburst, you have to take a step back and, and sort of analyze the fact that, okay, that anger has to come from somewhere. That rage is coming from someplace. His awkwardness and shyness and social anxiety is coming, it stems from something. And so instead of me, you know, uh, being quick to judge or quick to label him as something, we should probably pause. And even if you can't figure out where it's coming from, because, you know, people aren't just going to open up like that, we should at least pause and take into account the fact that this is another human being who's just mm-hmm. unfortunately having a different life experience than we are. And we should respect that much. Yeah, no, for sure. That's like, remember on Twitter, like we were talking about on Twitter, and I said, literally, my very first thought as soon as the film ended was I hope to God that Jonathan went through therapy after this film because it could not have been easy to play this character of Keelan like he has to do so much I think um not only just mentally but um like psychically like they're like doing a character like that has to have some kind of like fundamental impact on the psyche as well as his body and like he's been playing these um like very intense characters for years like He's doing, um, he had Devotion, which is um, a war film, but luckily he's, he's in, a, in a jumpsuit because he's playing a pilot. But while he's doing um, that, he's also doing, he, he also did play Kang in the upcoming um, Ant-Man Quantumania film. But he also did like, you know, scenes in the Loki, in the Loki series. And then he had to do this. And also in Creed, like he's the new um, antagonist in the Creed, in the new upcoming Creed film directed by um, Michael, by, what's his name? Michael. Michael B. Jordan. <laughs> yes. Michael B. Jordan. And for some reason, my mind was saying J instead of B. So I was like, I know Jay's wrong. But yeah, but Michael B. Jordan. So he, he like his, his body has been going through so much stress, stress and strain for like at least a good number, like at least like four or five years straight. You know, and I'm just like, I want, I want his next film, his next project to be something like, like give this man a comedy. Like, I just want him to also take a break because just like, I always, and it's just me. I think I'm also just because I'm just a naturally empathetic person. When I watch these kind of films or just shows where people have to play very intense and very dark characters, like they have to do a lot of physical work. I'm always cognizant of the fact that, as you said, these are real people playing characters, but artists who play these characters, they have to go through a lot. And and while I enjoy these, and while I may enjoy the performances or whatever, I still have to remind myself at the end of the day, like whatever they had to go through to play these characters would have taken a toll on them. And we, as the audience and people in um outside the industry, we don't know 
what happens once the lights are off and they go home, you know, we don't know what they're going through. And uh, I remember for like, was it for Monsters Ball? Um, Halle Berry said she went through a very, um, like she did Monsters Ball and then she did this other film, Gothica. Like she's, I remember she said in interviews, like that film took a lot out of her, like Gothica in particular took a lot out of her and she, and she had to do therapy. And there's like a lot of um, roles where many actress, actors have to do therapy afterwards because like they have to do basically like mental maintenance, you know? And, and like this film really just made me think, I hope to God Jonathan went to therapy <laughs> for this film because it could not have been easy. Yeah, I, I share in that hope as well, because I and I was actually kind of thinking, you know, just in the last two years alone, how much he's had to pivot, like you said, mentally, physically from one project to another. You know, you go from Lovecraft to The Harder They Fall to Devotion to Ant-Man to Loki to Creed to Magazine. It, there's just so much pivoting. Um, you know, because you have to naturally, you're playing so many different characters. And then with Kang in particular, he's playing many characters within a character. <laughs> like it's, <laughs> it's, it's a lot going on. And I think, you know, probably um, given the fact that he's, uh, I think he's a, a Yale graduate, um, Yale School yeah, of Drama. I think, grad. Did, yeah. uh, I think him, uh, him, Yaya Abdul-Mateen II, Brian Tyree Henry, and I think one other person all went to Yale School of Drama, which I, I think was interesting. Um, was it Yale or Juilliard? Yeah, I know for sure it was Yale for Yaya. I really want to say it was Yale for Jonathan. And I'm, I think I just read an interview with Brian Tyree Henry and he said he was Julia. So. So oh, no, it was, um, I think it was um, my guy who played Mbaku Winston Duke that went to Juilliard, I think. Mm. I think it was Juilliard that Winston Duke went to, I think. He might, I know it was a good, good four to five of today's hot black actors that all went to Yale. And I was like, mm-hmm. what, what a coincidence. I know, um, right? <laughs> but I think given the fact that Jonathan is a, a Yale alum and the fact that he is a truth thespian, I think he enjoys roles like, you know, like the ones he's gotten because they challenge him. Uh, mentally, emotionally, and physically, but like you, I give the brother a rom com. Give him a love interest. Make him. I love his um his role in Last Black Man in, in San Francisco. I still have not seen that. It's he's very quirky, a uh, little bit oddballish, but which is it's kind of like Killian in Magazine Dreams, a bit oddballish, but in a in a more upbeat way, in a more um likable way um and I think he plays awkward well whether whether it's on the you know positive side of the spectrum or negative side um but I think I would like to see him do that a little bit more like I said give him a love interest give him you know make him try to get the girl like in a good way and not in a weird dinner scene from hell type of way <laughs> you know and give him a dog or a fish you know give him a, a pet goldfish but um yeah but but <laughs> I didn't, I, you know, I completely forgot about Lovecraft Country because I, I have fought with that show. Like I, that film ended up, that show ended up being a very negative experience for me, just like watching it. Like, I was reviewing it and I couldn't even get past, I watched all the episodes, but I was reviewed, reviewing it and I stopped reviewing it um, at episode five. The episode five was my last review because it was just so much for me mentally to like process having to watch and like, like process it to recap it and stuff. It was just like, no, but like, yeah, yes. 
I never watched Lovecraft. I'm I don't like horror horror movies, horror films, horror TV shows. I don't like anything. The the biggest I'll go to horror is like Jordan Peele type horror or um like thriller. <laughs> That's about as much much scary stuff as I'm gonna do. So I I never got into into Lovecraft, but from all the reviews, like you said, that I read and you know, people talking about his performance. I, I know he did a great job. I don't doubt that he did a good job. I will just never firsthand see it. <laughs> Girl. Yeah, you save save yourself. Like I will. I will. It, like it just becomes darker and darker. And I'm like, it's supposed to be hard, but then it's also like it's something based on Lovecraft, who was also racist. And I'm like, this make the, the things that his character goes through, like by the end, I wanted to fight the air. I was just like, no, this was that was also another character where it's just like come on. I'm like how much more can this guy go through yeah. and and like again like, that's something we've been saying about our um, magazine dreams this is just and i i i was i wanted to ask you like is there any particular scene in the in the film that really stood out to you whether um is i'm just gonna say a positive or good but I'm like again this film doesn't really have any positive scenes. but is there like a scene that really really stands out to you that defines the film for you Ooh. um I think for the sake of being repetitive, I won't, uh, well, I'll, that's the number two. So I think my number one scene would probably have to be the um, the the moments after he gets beat up for, uh, for those, those four men when they come in the truck and beat him up on the day of his competition. I remember feeling like so excited, like, okay, he's at this competition. Finally, he can get this out of his system. He can go and then we can be done with, with this chapter. But the way he got beat up and the way he struggled to get back in the car and sped all the way down to the place and did not clean himself up. A spoiler alert, he didn't clean himself up. Um, bloody, just... I think that was the moment where I was like, and, and credit to who um, the name escapes me, but whoever did the score, mm. whoever did the score in that particular, in those particular scenes, that was, I know the moment for me where I was like, I am ready to run up out of here. Um, and then while he was flexing, you know, you could hear the, the gas from the audience people in the auditorium, but I think the minute, he smiled while he was flexing and his mouth was still full of blood after getting beat up and the camera just kind of stayed on his face. I was like, I'm ready to shut this laptop down. I can't, I can't, <laughs> I can't, I can't. This is, this is a lot. This, this is, this is too much. And then again, like I mentioned earlier, um, the scene after he shadows his um, bodybuilding idol at the photo shoot and I just I knew something was up and I knew something was gonna happen when you know he showed him his abs and he was like, Yeah, they're real, like you can touch him. And the way they just lingered on his idol's face as he was looking at Jonathan's character, I was like, No, there's mm-mm, some don't feel right. And sure enough, in the next the next scene, I was like, you know what? I am about to cry, shake, and throw up. <laughs> like this is so much I didn't expect to happen. It was, I think those two moments were for sure the two scenes where I was just like, all right, uh, okay, how much longer do we have with this? Love you, Jonathan. Yeah. Love you, Elijah Bynum. You did a great job, but baby, I'm a, I'm about to check out. 
I am I'm with you. I'm here looking up because you mentioned the score. The score is amazing. Um, the composer is Jason Hill. And he's worked on um, Mindhunter, Love, Death, and Robots. Yeah. Like, he has a, a great filmography. Um, yeah, the score for this film <laughs> is fantastic. And that scene that you're talking about where he gets in the car, like, it's just like this it feels that's it feels that mu- music feels very much like it belongs in a horror or a thriller mm-hmm. because it's, it's mm-hmm. it, it feels very unrelenting it feels almost like if this was a horror film like the moment where you're running through the, the woods running from the like a serial killer or whatever because it feels very intense and dark and very unrelenting and it's very pulse pounding and it just makes you fear whatever is coming around the corner so like like Jason Hill, I think he did a fantastic job with the score for this film. And um, like the scene you mentioned, the one with the bodybuilder, like when he meets his bodybuilder, that's one of my that's one of my top scenes from this from this film because it's it's very much um reminiscent of the of the saying never meet your heroes. And this is something for Killian because like the the thing with Killian's obsession from the very beginning is that he's been obsessed with this one particular bodybuilder and he was a bodybuilder that was like in Mr. Universe cost um competition and he's won like all these awards and he's been all these magazine covers and Killian has his wall his um bedroom plastered the posters of this guy and I thought it was very interesting that it's a white man and not a black bodybuilder right mm-hmm. I thought it was very interesting that he's obsessed with this white man and he meets him and like you just know something's very off-putting about this guy and what happens afterwards was very that that just made me I just that that was one of those scenes where I wanted to hug Killian because I'm just like come on and and it and it was so and I think it's so traumatic and I think it's something also that's not discussed it just in society in general like how men can be victims of sexual encounters and even if this isn't wouldn't be defined as sexual assault like Mm -hmm. the way his like because Killian is so um naive and he's very isolated and he's and he's very um socially awkward he doesn't know how to interact with people like you can tell this encounter for him has left him scarred mm-hmm. you know like it's left him mentally scarred emotionally scarred because this isn't this this was never his intention you know this isn't what he came there for mm-hmm. and it shows and it's just showing like how people like 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 Killian and how men in particular can be victims whether they realize it or not and it shows like how people can how people also take advantage of people like Killian. Like this man from the very beginning, he clocked that Killian is like socially awkward, that he's mm-hmm. neurodivergent. You know, he clocks that this is someone he can take advantage of. And like for me, that whole sequence says so much, I think, about um not just Killian, but how men as well are conditioned to see every like certain encounters as everything is sexual like you see someone who's a fan and they come up to you and like he's just a fan he, he's not looking at you as a sexual idol he doesn't have any sexual feelings towards this man but this this man this man that Killian has loved and obsessed with from year for years takes advantage of that and it, sh- mm-hmm. and it talks about power dynamics, you know, and like, mm-hmm. and like, and it show and it talks about how even like Killing is physically imposing. He can do damage, you know, like he can beat people. But in this situation, his size means nothing, mm-hmm. you know, his size couldn't protect him. Mm-hmm. That, I mean, 
I think that was probably the most, like you said, traumatic, heartbreaking, um, just like the, the, was it, was the saying go, the, the straw that broke the camel's back. I think mm -hmm. that was, you know, throughout the film, he, Killian experienced so many types of assault, right? Mental assaults, emotional assaults, physical assaults. And even though this final assault in a sense is not, like you said, it wouldn't traditional, traditionally be defined as assault because we assume that it was a consensual act between the two. Um, but the aftermath clearly shows that even though it was consensual, that doesn't mean that it's without consequence. Yeah. Um, you know, mentally, <laughs> emotionally, like you, you can tell he is shook, rocked. Um, and I, I think for him, like I said, that was the straw that broke his back and the thing that kind of pushed him over the edge to feel again, respected. Like you didn't, respect me as a competitor as someone who admires you as a human being you didn't respect this body that I've, I've worked so hard for I think once again it was it was a trigger and and I think it boils down to to disrespect and and the non-acknowledgement of his humanity as a person and like you said just as a fan like I just I'm a fan of yours I'm not trying to get anything from you I just I want you to know that I exist and I want you to acknowledge me as a human but you have perverted that. And now I have to figure out a way to deal with it. Yeah. And, and the thing, and the thought just occurred to me, like that in contrary thing also really affects how Killian saw himself because he's always been looking, like he's always been trained to get his body to look just like this man, mm -hmm. you know? And then you have this person who has the body that he's been idealizing for so many years and that he's been trained to emulate and copy violates him in a way that he would have never ever comprehended before you know so there's the there's the, the whole just the whole aspect of you have the body just the physical body like treating him in this way you know and like that uh, that perverts the way that he and he ends up looking at his own body because he stops exercising you know he doesn't he doesn't want the same he doesn't want that body anymore and i think that's where the writing for that i think that's where elijah bynum's writing really shines in like where it's like he's he's it's very subtle like he doesn't make anything overt like everything that he's like all of the social commentary as i would say is very subtle you know and like he creates these situations where it's like if you really think about it you're like he's saying he's saying this he's saying this about like a comment like he's saying this is this this situation is about drug addiction this this situation is about how people use social media to term other people you know like this like the comments how people on social media are are very fine telling a random stranger to kill themselves just because yeah. you don't like a video they post. You know that that's that's about that. But he's like this social commentary is about how men um can be intimidated by women. You know, and then this one is and then this situation like the one I mentioned is about how some people can become like victims of sex of a sex consensual sexual encounter, but it's the aftermath. As you're saying, that's really that's really the issue. So I think that's where Biden's writing shines. It's just the focus and a bit shorter and he could have taken out some of those really dark moments like we didn't need some some as some of the physically violent moments because it has some uh, a lot of physically violent scenes and like we just taking those out but i think that's where his writing and as a director shines like he's very methodical 
as a director the film feels very methodical and like i could see like if he had like a whole time like he's like this is happening here 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 mm-hmm. and i think that works but it's just so much <laughs> to take it it's a lot yeah it's just so much and i think i would i would definitely agree that it could have we could have wrapped it up in like an hour and a half like two hours <laughs> two hours worth of this is is and uh, you know again I, I really i think that we're making it clear but it's not because it was a bad movie that I, I wish it was shorter. It was just a lot going in it. Like my energy was just, like, I think I told you on Twitter, I was up for like at least two hours after the fact, just, I couldn't go to sleep. I couldn't lay down. I was literally sitting on the edge of the bed, like, wow. <laughs> like, <Yeah. laughs> just thinking about like, oh my gosh, I hope Killian gets help. Like, I hope he really, you know, I hope the spiral stops here. I'm wondering about people in real life that are like him that are going through. I just had so many things swirling in my head. I just could not go to sleep until I, I just was like, girl, go to bed. This one, this is a movie. Just go to bed. But it was, it was a lot. Like yes. I said, I thought I knew stress. <laughs> yeah this is not a film i would recommend anyone watch before going to bed um mm-hmm. i watched this during the day and like um i i even after i watched it i had to go and put on a video with like people put on youtube like that's one of my uh, my stretch relievers like there's these videos on youtube where i would go to like watch people i would watch like, these japanese restaurant videos where you just watch them prepare like this like prepare for the evening service for the morning like they go to this the market they prepare make noodles from scratch and those are like my stress relief my stress reliever some people have like um asmr for me i just like watching people cook so and i had to do that after this film i just had to decompress because it was like i didn't watch any um any of the sundance films until later in the night because i was just like i can't watch anything yeah, yeah. where i have to think i have to like decompress and i have to just like let myself settle because it will it it, it 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 will be fair it's like everyone is gonna like this film and that's fair like no like no one is gonna like every single film and like everyone is gonna find things that that does that they just be like you know what this film doesn't work for me but i will say whether you like it or not just don't watch this film before bed just give yourself yeah. time to process it because the, whether or not you like the film like one thing about it is Jonathan Majors does just such an impressive job with it and like just his performance alone is a lot to take in it's a lot to process you know like it's it's like it's like so much <laughs> and it's like I want to tell people because I was uh talking to an, an editor of mine and they were asking you know what did you think What's, you know no spoilers but what did you think and I was like, I it, I thought it was a tough watch. Like it's a hard watch. It's it's not something that, and I hate that I keep bringing this movie up, but that's about the movie that had me, uh, that gave me the closest reaction. But you know, it's it's a lot like Waves. Waves is not a movie that I would just say, you know what you know, you know what you need to go see Waves. I would never say that. I I just would not. <laughs> I would not recommend that film. Definitely not to uh, to watch at nighttime. But I just would not recommend it because there's just a lot going on it's very heavy it it sits with you and sits on you I feel um after you you watch it and the same with with um magazine dreams but to Kelvin Harrison Jr's point who is the um you know the the charge the the leader of stress in waves <laughs> and to Jonathan's point in this movie the performance is stellar Mm-hmm. The performance is is captivating. The performance is, like you said earlier, a more than likely career defining role where it's like, 
okay, I may not tell you to watch it, but I would tell you to watch it just to see how he brought this character to life. Like that's, cause I know, like you said, it's divisive. People are gonna have a myriad of thoughts. Um, people are gonna feel some type of way. And so for that reason, I don't know if I would want to uh, purposely influence someone to like put that much emotional uh, burden on them. Like, I don't, I don't know if I wanna influence them to do that to themselves. But just for the sake of Jonathan alone, like I would tell people to go see it, but just be prepared. <laughs> for sure. For sure. It is, it's, it's, I, cause as you were talking, I was thinking like, this isn't one of those films, you know, I can't watch this film. It's not, this is not a film that you're just going to take up a CD or you're, if you say, you're just like, oh, go plug in and watch new. This is a film where you have to be very aware that it's going to be an intense watch um, and that it could, be potentially triggering because there are scenes that reference like eating disorders as i said and the and the physical violences a lot in this scene like the the elijah bynum did not pull back with this with like portraying violence like punches land you see the blood spattering you see the blood like as you talked about like when he was doing that he had in the blood in his in in his teeth and it's the bruises like also, props to the cost to the um, makeup <laughs> and especially mm-hmm. best departments because they really did their job with this film. But it's it's yeah, it could be potentially triggering for people. So uh, I like yeah. <laughs> I'm uh, just with you talking about that. I just remembered the uh, the diner scene between him and uh, one of the guys that beat him up mm. when he catches him, and I just remembered that, and I think I remember. The whole scene was crazy. The entire movie is stressful. But that scene in particular, I was like, oh, gosh, what what are you about to do? And I think the moment that Jonathan, I, that's how I knew Jonathan has some strength. Like, obviously, he's a strong guy, right? But the moment I knew, I was like, okay, this guy has some mental and physical strength was when he literally hopped over the table. Yes! Across, a, he went from one side of the restaurant to the other because he hiked across the tables in the booths to land in front of that man. When I saw that, I was like, all right, okay. Give the man the award. Like, are you crazy? Like, and I think that was probably purposeful. Like, you you had to see him react like that because, like, yo, are you are you mad? Like, are you? I know, right? And the, and the thing with that diner scene, like that was that was like I was thinking about it. That's also probably one of the more defining moments in that in that scene because this is a game. This is like he is the lone black person in this entire diner. I don't, I don't, I don't recall seeing any other black characters. Perhaps there were, but like you were just seeing this entire um, place is filled with white people, and like the man called him an ape, and. And I'm just like, he is acting, he's um, em- emulating the behaviors of like a gorilla, you know, like jumping mm-hmm. and being very hulking. And that's also where like, you, like for this is where like Jonathan Majors isn't just like fantastic with delivering lines and also using his face and as an expression, like his physical body language, like you can tell like, this is the scene. He's like, okay, you're going to call me a name. I'm going to act like one. Right. And he does it like, like sprinting across the tables and just like, and with, with such ease too, like his physicality. And that scene is amazing. Like, just like take the threat, the physical threat he's posing to these people, just like his physicality in that scene is amazing. Mm-hmm. And then he just like gets right up in the mask face. And I'm like, Lord Jesus, like what is happening here? And this that poor little white child is terrified. 
That was so funny. I was like, mm, and he's like, your daddy's a liar. He's like, your daddy's a liar. Your daddy beating it with a pipe. I'm like, you know what? I actually agree with Killian in this moment because you got these white people that treat black people and people of color like trash. Mm-hmm. And then they will go home to their families and out on they see they say when you were out there tracking somebody, you just mm-hmm. went beat at this man with a pipe like two hours like the day before. I know you want to act like you like you're the daddy um best dad in the world. John mm-hmm. Killian was like, No, I'm not gonna let this one slide. And it was actually you know, I was like, you know what, Killian, I could agree with you in this situation because these white people just get away with too much too yeah. often. And he was like, Nah, I have had it. No. And it was just like, okay, I can I could almost get can you just like you gotta call out these white people under BS in, in their faces, you know? Mm-hmm. Like let the kids know your dad is a racist, Period. your dad is a violent abuser, your dad Period. beat me with a pipe. So mm-hmm. shatter yeah. that myth. Whew. Yeah, that was that was intense. <laughs> That's it intense. was so intense, and then the way <laughs> it did it, in hindsight it's coming across comical now, but in the moment where he was like it's like he would he would edge himself to the brink of like doing something bad and like pull himself back and then edge himself there again and then pull himself back. But I think it's a moment where he like finally went back on the other side to the diner. He was like, oh, and I was like, oh, my God. He's like, who these white people got me? He's like, I'm about to catch a case. <laughs> it's funny now, but in the moment yeah. I was like, no, he is three seconds off your ass. Like, <laughs> yeah. He's like, these white people, I ain't going to prison for these white people. You can hear this. I am not going to go to prison for these white people. I got to like, yeah. look after my papa. Ooh, these white people testing me, Lord mm-hmm. Jesus. And like you said, it's crazy now, but in the moment it was intense. But like, no, it's funny. It's just like, whoo. You know, black people, we have that kind of situation. Like, we've all had that, that, that situation at least once. You're like, whoo. Like, whoo. You're like, mm-hmm. Lord Jesus, somebody hold me back. <laughs> yeah, got to, because this is about to go left. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It's about to go left quick. And like, I'm about to catch a case. Who's mm-hmm. gonna be host my bell? Call nine one one. Somebody kids to raise. I got bills to pay. I can't do this. <laughs> exactly. I got my dog to feed. I can't be going to prison for you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, like, I think what are we? I think we're at like an hour. So we're an over and over, but that's okay. But this has been so much fun talking with you, Chanel. Thank you so much for talking with me. Of course, that was so. This is fun. It is like I love talking with films with people who love talking about films. <laughs> It's so funny because I'm I'm so used to um, writing about films. Like I don't, and then like because I work remotely, and mm-hmm. all my coworkers work remotely. You know, you talk to people, but it's through Slack, it's through you know Google Messages or whatever like that. And so I feel like I I don't get to always verbally express how I feel about TV and film, even though I'm you know constantly on Twitter saying stuff. But it's not it's not the same <laughs> as you know looking at somebody and, and using your words <laughs> no it, it is like that's one of the reasons i started my podcast partly because like i've been having issues with my cognition so like writing has been difficult but i also just love talking and i love talking about films and tvs i have my sister but she's like at work throughout the day and like, i'm always on twitter talking to people and i'm just like you know let's talk to people and um but this i appreciate you taking the time for it um, to talk with me and i'm actually so happy that you had a good experience with um that so far and I, I you know it just it was just occurred to me this film is probably actually the darkest film that i've seen for Sundance so far i haven't watched any of the horrors that was kind of unintentional like like either the screener the the past is expired and I, they were like oh it's expired oh wow right. <laughs> they haven't been able to see any horrors but so far this film technically is like a thriller and like i watched like some really intense dramas but nothing as intense 
or dramatic as this person is, but I'm glad that your first sentence experience has been so good. <laughs> yeah, I'm very, very grateful. Um, I think I've been trying to watch, I love documentaries, so I've been trying to balance watching like films and documentaries before mm-hmm. everything goes away. Um, but yeah, I would probably agree this is definitely one of the darker, the darker films in mm-hmm. the entire canon <laughs> of the <laughs> selections this year. Because it's, it's a lot. And I know we keep saying it, but it's a lot. It's a lot. I don't think I don't think saying it can really under it can no it can't that's how a lot this film is like people like you said we've been saying a lot but you really are not prepared for what this film has to offer you. Just like I had no clue that this film would be, and it was just like you. I was watching clock. I'm like, how much more? I'm like, we got twenty more minutes. Like the last ten minutes of this film felt like it felt like a whole a, a whole thirty minutes in and of itself. But um, you said documentaries. Like, so before we go, like, what documentaries have you seen? I watch. Uh, I think it's called Going to Mars. Nikki Giovanni project. Love hmm. it. Love it. I haven't I love, seen that um, one yet. I I really really love black women writers and stories about black women writers, uh, black women filmmakers. I'm a fan of black women. Uh, about like Nikki said. Um, and then I'm going to watch today the Little Richard I Am Everything documentary. Gonna watch that one. And then uh, there's another one called Invisible Beauty um, that I think is about Beth Ann Hardison, mm-hmm. um, the first, one of the first Black supermodels. And I think her journey and how she came onto the scene and broke barriers. Um, I love a good documentary. <laughs> mm-hmm. No, I've seen both Invisible Beauty and, um, and, what was the other one you this and the one about little richard they're both really really good and um but that artist hardison i hadn't heard her i i i was familiar ish with her name but i didn't know everything about her career and everything but when i watched the documentary um it really showed like just like not only what she's done but what a lot of other black models had to go through like it like their seat because she's very close friends with Iman and and mm-hmm. Naomi Campbell, so it talks about how these very famous black models had so many challenges in the industry too. So that was a really good one. And the one with Little Richard, like I think um, Lisa Cortez, who's the director, she did a fantastic job highlighting a lot of those points in Little Richard's life that people don't really talk about often. Like how he was completely overlooked for his entire career from the music industry. Like he never won a Grammy. He never um he, he like though he only got like a lifetime kind of like a lifetime achievement award from mtv like back in the day but he actually oh, wow. never got like actual awards for his music which is when you think about what he has done for for music like he literally is the king of rock and roll and this man was never actually recognized by the industry that he's contributed so much about so i think those those two ones um are, are really really good i have to see the one with, about um, nikki giovanni though i have to, i hope it's still available i have to see if it's still available on the portal today yeah <laughs> she's so funny she was unexpectedly really funny and oh really some of her interviews and the the quips she has she's just really funny uh very no holds bar uh tell it like it is i'm ju- i'm just gonna say it i'm an older black woman i'm gonna just say it like that <laughs> that type of of a personality that was great mm, Bethany Hardison is like that too she's very um she's very blunt like there's things that she says like there's something she says like um, like her son is Kadeem Hardison, which I did not know. Like Kadeem Hardison, but like in Living Wait, Color, and stuff. a different world. That's her son in Living Color. Sorry, not in, not a different world. in Living Color. Kadeem Hardison, that's her son. I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> wow. 
wow. Yeah, I had no idea. I'm like, okay, both of you are out here breaking barriers because, you know, like, Living Color was like the first. No, I'm doubting myself. A Different World is the show about the college. A, a Living Color is the music show. Yeah, that's the, the comedy yes. show. Yeah, Right, yes. It was a, um, a Different World. It was the one where they were in college with like Jasmine Guy and stuff. Right, yes. Yeah. Getting, yes, that one. Wow. Yeah, but but it's really good. And, and, and she like, you know, she co-directed it too, which is also something... I think it's really interesting for a black woman to do co- to co-direct her own documentary. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they they Sundance has a lot of good stuff out this year. A lot of good stuff. Thank you so much for joining me, Chanel. This was great, and I can't. I like we're gonna have to have another discussion to talk. Yeah, maybe about another Sundance film or another film coming out soon. Ooh, maybe Quantum. I don't know. We'll see. Um, but thank you so much for joining me. <laughs> and you can thank tell you the people where me. they can find you and follow you on social media. Um, you guys can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Chanel Janae, S-H-A-N-E-L-L-E-G-E-N-A-I on both platforms. So everyone, that was another episode of Carolyn Toss. And today I was joined by film critic and journalist Chanel Janae to talk about magazine dreams and a bit about her experience as a film critic and work and especially covering Sundance for the first time. I appreciate Chanel taking the time to talk with me. And it was so great to talk with her about this film magazine dreams. I know it sounded a bit repetitive saying that this film is a lot, but I don't think it could be overstated like you have to mentally prepare yourself for this film and I think it would be a disservice for us not to let people know that yeah I think it's I think it's important especially for film critics and journalists to be as open with um, people as possible when it talk when, it, when it's coming to letting them know what to expect from a film and this film is you should prepare yourself and like as Chanel said like if even if the film is very heavy like Jonathan Major's performance alone is worth watching for he's phenomenal in this film and um and i like give him all the kudos to her and even um writer and director um elijah bynum i think did a, a, a really good job with um the story that he's telling and a lot of the commentary that he's making about society where it is now and where it could potentially go it just was a bit too long and a bit too some of the scenes where it felt a bit unnecessary um but kudos to him and the composer who worked on it was like I think did a fantastic job with the score the score is fantastic and you can see other episodes of Karen and Talks where where I do coverage for Sundance like I did an interview with Gene Back who is a composer for the film Shortcomings directed by Randall Park and I'll be be speaking to the editor and the the director for um, an Indian short film called White Ant you can look forward to that interview as well as well as to the interview with the creative team behind and it's really um, comedy called Hanshi and written and created by Eliza Chanovitz. That, that that's also my in you can also listen to that episode as well as watch the videos on my YouTube channel that's youtube.com slash at symbol Carolyn underscore Hines. Go to my R3 page AUTHORY.com slash Carolyn Hines to find links to all of the, the podcast links to my YouTube channel, links to all of my published writing, including the profile that I recently did for Variety magazine on Angela Bassett um, for her uh, for to cover the work that she's done throughout the last four decades. You can follow me on social media at Carrie CNH12. That's C-R-I-E-C-N-H12 on Twitter and Instagram. And I am a co-host of the Saturday Night Sci-Fi. Every 10 p.m. at Saturday Night Easter, me and my co-host, we like to be a sci-fi genre film or TV show from around the world. And um, I think that's it. I'm going to wrap up here. But thank you so much, everyone who's been listening. Thank you again to Chanel and all of my guests who've been joining me. And you until the next episode of Karen and Talks, everyone. Stay safe. Bye. Mm-hmm.